Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Today we are talking with Grammy Award-nominated musician and songwriter Nikki Six of Motley Crue. You may know Nikki from the band's classic hit songs, Looks That Kill, Shout at the Devil, Dr. Feelgood, and Home Sweet Home. Nikki is also the leader of the band 6AM and for years has been a strong mental health advocate. He has been incredibly open and forthcoming, particularly about his struggle with addiction. And he shares his story in his autobiography, The Heroin Diaries, A Year in the Life of a Shattered Rock Star. Nikki also works with Covenant House California and has partnered with them to create a music room for homeless youth who are finding shelter at the Covenant House campus. Recently, Nikki celebrated 20 years of sobriety, and he just published a new book, The First 21, which in part talks about his early life struggles and how it impacted his mental health and substance use. Also check out Motley Crue's upcoming U.S. tour in the summer of 2022 with Def Leppard and Poison. Check out his website, Nikki6Official.com, for his music, books, shows, and merchandise. Now on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so that we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. One of the things that Nikki and I talked about was a quote he had previously made about getting ready for a tour. He talked about his intense physical, emotional, and spiritual training regimen that he described as a beast with multiple tentacles. And what Nikki and I talked about was that just as training in different ways can build us up, trauma and stressful events are a beast that can tear us down. In his book, he talked about experiencing a range of stressful and traumatic events, including abuse, neglect, and concussions from football, all of which can have an impact on physical and mental health. And one of the things that traumatic events do is further complicate our lives. Life is already complex. We often don't know how we feel, what we want, or how we hope to optimally cope with stressful situations. Trauma and really any struggle with our mental health makes that complexity even more intense and potentially confusing. And Nikki talks about how we can become alienated and disconnected from ourselves. And when we feel so confused, empty, and in pain, we sometimes look to simple things that can make us feel connected. Sometimes it could be something healthy like music that makes us feel more authentic and like ourselves. And sometimes it's something like substances, such as drugs or alcohol, that temporarily soothe us. And if we are going to understand addiction and empathize with people who struggle with addiction, we need to be sensitive to how substance use can fill that void we feel and manage that confusion, and then we need to help people find alternative ways to meet their needs. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. On the Consequence website and wherever you find these episodes, you'll also find a short questionnaire. 
We'd love to hear your feedback, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to see addressed. We incorporate these responses into episodes, as well as a monthly column called Ask Dr. Mike on the Consequence website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what Nikki has to say. All right, Nikki, welcome to Going There. Hey, man, what's happening? Good to it see is, you. Yes, it's great to talk to you again. We, so, we, talk, we talk, but we never see each other. That's exactly right. And, but we're going to make the most of this. So I appreciate it. Fantastic. So you had in your book just a quote that I thought was so interesting and profound when you're talking about preparing for shows, which is that training is a beast with multiple tentacles. And you, you talked about the in-depth nature of how you prepared yourself emotionally, physically, spiritually for a show. Yeah. And that was, it was really powerful for me because it felt like such an affirming set of behaviors from a, a physical and mental health perspective. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the book talks about what I would call the trauma that you experienced uh -huh. at it also seemed like a beast with multiple tentacles, you know? Absolutely. So yeah. we're talking about abuse or neglect or just, just the concussions alone that you described from, from football. It, it, it really seemed to me that, and all, all, it seemed to me that you have been working so hard. All of it came down to this concept of looking for truth. Yeah. This idea of when you're looking for truth, it feels good. And when yeah. you're not, and you're confused, it can be so chaotic. So can we just start with that, how you understand looking for truth in your life and how things like training mode gets you there. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, transparency is really important, but, but fearful for some people. Um, I, I feel like once you can like pull the bandaid off or the veil back and just, this is who I am at this place in my life. And then what do I want to do with it? Um, I always think of like these like worst case scenarios um, and you hear about uh, I'm involved in this program uh, at Covenant House. I created a music program there uh, called Running Wild the Night. So once they pick the kids up off the street and gangs, prostitution, drugs, they like try to get them back into education and get them uh, so they could like get acclimated back into society and do something good with their life. And I think how hard to be at the bottom, bottom, bottom. Uh, and to make it out of there. And one day we were over there and uh, one of the guys was talking and he had been picked up off the street like 25 years ago. And I was one of the number one real estate guys in Los Angeles. And it says a lot about human beings, you know, that we can bounce back, literally bounce back, but without some kind of messaging out there that it's possible. Hence, you know, why self-help books um, sell so well, because people are looking for some help for themselves. And uh, I just felt like as a lyricist, as a poet, as a, um, a author, when I had a radio show during my interviews, it's just, that's kind of like part of my responsibility is like, I was really had some bottoms and, and unbelievably bounced back. How did I bounce back and how can I pass that on? And you're absolutely correct in the, the concept of the tentacles um, being in anything in your life. Like when you compare the tentacles of training for a stadium tour, uh, and then you talk about mental health, 
you know, before we even get over to the mental health side of it, think of like, what's the number one driver uh, for wanting to put that much effort, which is not easy and it's not fun. Like no one wants to get up and do that stuff every single day for six months, eat like that, put themselves through that, do without for that. It's fear. Fear that the band that you're playing with is breathing down your neck. Fear that the audience, you're going to let them down. Fear that you're going to run out of steam. You know, no one wants to get in a race car and run out of gas halfway around. Like everyone's looking at you. And I don't want to be the guy that's like that. And I feel like I have a responsibility. And then, so there's a mental health side of it. You know, there's, there's ego and there's self-esteem and there's, you know, you feel good about yourself. When you feel good about yourself, you pass that on. I pass it on to my wife, my children. And I, and you kind of live this life of betterment. You're constantly trying to better yourself. I, I, I heard someone recently, one of my friends is total bonehead. He said, yeah, man, I went to therapy and we figured it out, you know, and I said, what did you figure out? And he goes, well, we're having some problems in our marriage and stuff. And I said, okay, well, you didn't even like, that's not even the tip of the ice uh, bird, right? You know, so self-improvement is a lifelong journey. It's when we let go of ego that we're allowed to be comfortable in wherever we are. If you're at the bottom, in the middle, you got cats that are all the way at the top and they're falling apart from anxiety and stress and stuff, you know, so we we're all on this journey together. And I think that one of the things that when you and I previously talked about, when we talked about the brutal truth of songwriting and, and that's one of the things that I think, you know, I always loved about your writing. I think, I think fans connected. It was, it was so direct, you know, something like home sweetheart. It's just so right there. And, and, there's so many things that tend to complicate our lives that get in the way of us finding truth, that we, we need something that just makes it not simple. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And it's constantly redefining itself. So I agree with you. Like when I work with someone and they come to me, it's like, well, I had that and I resolved that conflict. I'd be like, man, truth is getting, is getting changed in the moment. Like it's, it's like you said, it's an ongoing process. If truth is what you really want, you can't just say, Oh, so 20 years ago, I figured something out because your, your truth's changed since then. Yeah. Yeah. You, you constantly do change. And that's, what's important to keep looking at that. Um, and to identify with somebody as their teenage behavior or maybe their alcoholic behavior or any other type of behavioral stuff that would be considered or is not positive. Um, not that all teenage behavior, but you know, you go through that hormonal time and the coming of age and the natural instinct to separate from your family. Like, you know, you know, to become your own man or woman, you know, whatever you identify with, those are important things. And sometimes they're tricky and sometimes people won't let you off the hook. And I think it's important to let yourself off the hook too, to say, yeah, yeah. it's like, I was a really bad drug addict for one year of my life. And by acknowledging that in a book, I was also able to go, and this is what recovery feels like for me. And um, passing it on, I have this belief system that the more that you get, the more that you have to give. And I'm constantly looking at ways. And I, I think I found it, you know, being an author, 
is a great opportunity for me to take a moment in time, the first 21 years and talk about that. Of course, there's a self-discovery, but there's also the discovery of music and the aha moments and that tipping point, so to speak, where you're like, I want to be that. I, I, I talk to different guys, like comedians and actors and different musicians that are like, when I saw blank on Saturday Night Live, I knew I wasn't an alien anymore. Like I, I knew when I was in Jerome, Idaho, population 4,000 people. And like, I felt like an alien. It's like, I'm like looking at the New York Dolls first album. I'm like Aerosmith and, you know, all these great 70s band, Elton John Bowie and stuff. And I'm like, that's me. That I feel I relate to Bertie Top and I relate to these authors and these writers and storytellers, but I relate to this image. So finding your tribe, I think is, is an important thing, but also letting people like go through the process. That term you use, you know, that feeling like an alien, and you were talking about separating from family because whether it's intentional or not, so much happens when we're younger that just makes us feel alienated from ourselves. Yeah. You know, we just feel like, and, and, and that's what it is. It's just, it's just this, like we separate from ourselves and sometimes to be able to be whole, we have to separate from everyone else just, just to get the confusion out yeah. of the way. Yeah, well, you know, you're getting all this information. Like, for example, like we lived in like this uh, double wide trailer in Jerome, Idaho. And, and I had this best friend, Bubba and Alan, Alan Weeks. And we would like listen to records all night and like stare at the yearbook at the girl that was out of our league. And I remember looking at like Edgar Winter. They only come out at night at the album cover and being like, where do you get shoes like that? Like if I would have had shoes like that and like shown up work on the farm, I'd been like shot, you know, but the imagination. And I remember sneaking out of the window and going out drinking beer, smoking pot, listening to rock and roll. Okay. It's not the end of the world, but for my grandparents, all of a sudden there was this big shift in this boy that they raised my mom wasn't there. It was my grandparents that raised me and took on that responsibility and that financial responsibility. I remember coming home and going to climb back in the window because, you know, when you're that age, you're way smarter than the adults. And my grandfather had taken his nail gun and nailed the screen, right? And so I, everyone has these like stories, you know, but was I doing something to my grandparents? I don't know if it's ego at that place like you know ego or what but i i wanted to do something different and it was conflict at that point yeah you know th this is something that i think is so tough because and one of the things that i've always appreciated about uh, certain musical genres and I, I would say metal broadly defined is one of them is that it's a lot it's not necessarily about rebelling against something it's about just asserting who you are. And I think that one of the things that's very difficult for people to understand is that if we're out there looking for who we are, if we're out there looking for our truth, it doesn't mean that we're doing it relative to your truth. Like, and that's one of the things that's so tough for people because people get treated like they're rebelling. I mean, I'm sure like because of people like you, people now don't have to worry about getting beaten up for wearing like a metal jacket. You know right, what I mean? Right, but, right. but back then, yeah. you know, back in the days, like you, you could get beaten up and people, and it's sort of like, I'm just 
being me, this is no different than if I think an Izod shirt represents yeah. me. Why are you making this about you? But that's one of the things that we try to separate from. It's like, hey, man, it's, it's not about you. Yeah. I always thought about cliques. And um, I was like, I was not part of a clique. That was like my belief system, right? There was the jocks, all the good looking buff dudes that got all the good looking girls and the cheerleaders. And then there was like the dregs of society, which was us. But we were in our clique. We listened to music after school. You know, we had our thing we did. We in Seattle, we went and hung out underneath the bridge and talked about when we saw Mark Bolin play at the Paramount Theater and when we saw like Kiss open for Savoy Brown or Deep Purple. And, you know, that was our click. And then these guys over here, they're playing football, which I'm a huge football fan, but that was their click. And, and so we all do sort of uh, fall into something and I think it's kind of a form of family. You know, my my band, previous to Motley Crue, London and Motley Crue, are my family. And dysfunctional at times and perfect at other times and high highs and low lows like any other family. So, you know, I, I went from my mom, my dad leaving, my mom not being around with my grandparents and climbing out of the window at the trailer. And eventually I'm in Motley Crue, we're touring the world. It's all like versions of uh, fitting in with what's right for you. And I think one of the things that's that's tough when people struggle with any kind of addiction is, and you know, this is definitely when I work with people who struggle, I always start with, well, let's just, I mean, you're doing it. What was good about it? At least when you started, you know, at the point that addiction takes over, it, it becomes its own cycle. Yeah. But so many people assume that, addiction is just all bad thing, but if it was all bad, people wouldn't do it. And yeah. I think that I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, from, from the people that I've worked with, and I know my own experiences, I'm not really, I'm not trying to hurt myself. I'm not trying to whatever. I'm just trying to figure things out. And that unfortunately is just one way that, mm -hmm. and sometimes again, just like with the, with the music, sometimes when life is so complicated, you look for a simple thing that just yeah. feels understandable and you connect with for some reason. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I once was, I was asked to speak at uh, a prison and about, about addiction. I remember I was like, like, what do I have to say? Which is a weird thing to say, but I was like, how do I, these guys, oh my God, I could have been one of them, but how, how do I say to them to make them, they're like, yeah, it must be nice for you. You're sober. And you, you know, you're in a big rock band, so don't come and talk to us. That was my thought process. And I was like, I'm just going to back to the honesty thing. I'm just going to get honest. And I remember kind of mentioning it to the guy who took me in there. He goes, eh, that's pretty. I don't know if I'd say that. And I was like, I just got to say it. So I sit down and I said, you know, I'm here to talk to you guys about addiction. And some of you guys are going to be in here shorter. And some of you guys are going to be in here longer. But from what I've been told, you're this group guys, you all got here uh, because of drugs. And uh, everybody's like, yeah. And I said, can we just be honest for a second? I go, aren't drugs great? And everybody was like, yeah, you know? And I go, until I got arrested, until, and then the guy's like, till I got stabbed. And another guy's like, until like I lost my mind and I, you know, 
I burnt down my house and it just, but it was the, we need to live in a place of honesty. Can I tell you that that literally is exactly what I start with. I'm so glad you said that because it it gives me a little bit of validation, but you know, people start talking like, I can't believe this. I was like, Oh, hold, hold on a second. Like, you know, you know, you look at like, like even now, like alcohol pot, these are, they have, they have no major label. They, they're not getting any marketing. They're not like even allowed in certain situations, but you somehow found your way to it. Can we yeah. start with, can we start with, hey, isn't there parts that are great about it? You can't, you're not going to get anywhere because it's like, like what people do is they don't have conversations with themselves. They have beat downs with themselves. Yeah. You know? And then what you're talking about is the conversation that, that nobody had with these guys. And I, I try to have with people that I work with because it's just like, yeah. wait, you got, if, cause, cause what you know with what's good about drugs for you is you then know what some of your needs are. How are you going to understand yourself? If you don't understand your needs, how are you going to get past using if you're not taking care of those needs? You know, I, th- I think that um, uh, recovery and, and however you get it, you know, um, I got mine through AA and through uh, men's stag meetings, um, which was also intimidating to me uh, because I realized that I had to take on the role as the alpha male in 99.9% of the times in my life. And so um, I became, I guess, a natural born or maybe an unnatural born leader, songwriter, the, the idea guy, the set designer guy, you know, when I was younger, the logo guy, the, and I just loved it so much and became like part of like, if you need the answer, Nikki's there. If you need solidity, Nikki's there. If you need a, a, a person, a shoulder to lean on, like Nikki's there. And then when I fell apart, uh, it was hard for me ego wise, I think ego, I'm not sure. I, maybe it is an ego, but to go to these men's stag meetings and going, I'm just a guy. And these men have time and they're men. Like I didn't have a male ro- role model other than my grandfather. So I shouldn't say I didn't, I did, but um, I spent a lot of time traveling and feeling a little like an alien. So when I got on these, uh, when I got sober and got these men's stag meetings and started having relationships with men that were based on honesty, it really uh, impacted my, my life in a lot of ways. I mean, we get back to this honesty thing, which, you know, I'll be like, we live up in Wyoming and I, I, uh, you know, you can't survive where we live unless you've got like, four-wheel drive you know we're like up on top of a mountain it's beautiful we love it it's a fantastic place to think create raise our two-year-old daughter and um be outside a lot and i'll be driving five feet of snow you know through the snow and i turn on the radio and it's like i'm on the moon and then i hear the singer start singing and i go fucking liar (laughs) like what are you even singing about man like does someone tell you to sing that or is that really what you feel and i'm not like putting because there's so many amazing honest artists and storytellers out there 
But like in my life, I've been able to go through four decades, multiple genre changes. Like one day you're the cool kid. One day no one will even return your call. Next week, like you're the cool band again. Then you're not the cool band again. Then everybody wants you on the cover of their magazine. No one will talk to you. Then you do a movie and you do a stadium tour. So you see a lot of stuff. And the stuff that has been consistent in your life and my life are usually the artists that have been able to be honest, you know, cause that's what the listener wants movies. Yeah. We have our entertainment stuff, you know, and our fun stuff and all that, but in general, there needs to be at least a 50, 50 mixture in there of uh dig a dab, like the song primal scream um, was a very motley, uh, at the time, we were really getting to grooves. Tommy brought this idea in with this groove. And um, I was reading a book by Arthur Janov uh, uh, on primal scream therapy, which I heard about because I read a uh, uh, John Lennon interview, right? So I'm like, well, I want to read it. I read it and I realized that kind of heavy metal and rock is a bit of primal scream therapy. And I got to talk in there. And I think one of the lines was time and time being told trash is all I'm worth. And um, it was kind of about my mom and my dad and how I felt. Well, in Motley Crue, a band that does not get enough credit for taking on different types of subjects and lyrically, I think, raising the bar a little bit uh, because of what I was in. You can't listen to Bernie Taupin and write like just BS. You, you, you just know that you're not living up to the standard. You know, you can't read Bukowski and then just do moon June rhymes. And I'm not saying, you know, you hit everyone out of the ballpark and sometimes songs don't qualify for that, but um, it's the honesty in the musicians and the actors and the podcasters. And that's why it's like half the time, like I don't get TikTok. I know I sound like, it's like, why are people doing this? Like, I don't, why are you doing it for likes? Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm, I don't really care if you like me. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one of the things that not I enough think... to put on a bikini and say something stupid. <laughs> Hi there. This is Dr. Mike Friedman from going there with Dr. Mike, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. After you check out the latest episode of my show, be sure to check out some of the other great programs on Consequence Podcast Network, including The Opus and Kyle Meredith With. Head to consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. I wanted to bring up something you brought about your dad in a recent interview about having having empathy. Yeah. I, I think I think one of the things you're saying is that you know getting how it's it's so difficult because when there's when there's something that you connect with it's like it, it's and and listen whether it's whether it's it's healthy or unhealthy with a certain kind of music whether it's booze whether it's drugs whether it's eating like whatever it is and you connect with it it feels so real and it feels so and and when there's something that doesn't it can feel so confusing you know this gets yeah. back to the early trauma stuff where we're literally bombarded with things that, that don't connect with us. Mm. And, you know, when you see something like, you know, like, like now, and it's like, 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 it's sort of like when you're in that zone and you're like, what do you do when you're like, this just doesn't connect with me because it can, 
it can really, depending on how you address that, it can totally scramble your truth. Sometimes it just shocks me how fragile we are and how our egos, the ego of society will not allow ourselves that belief system. Like, hey, man, I'm, I'm fragile. Like, I had a guy once told me, he said, you know, Nikki, if you're a parent, you'll fail your children on some level. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm never going to be like my dad or my mom. I'm going to be the greatest dad ever. He goes, you're going to fuck your kids up, buddy, because you're their dad and you're going to fail them. You're going to and, and they're going to go through stuff. And they'll fail their children because we're human beings. We're not machines, you know, and, um, you know, I, I like just being in a rock band alone and touring as my kids were growing up is enough right there for them to be like, I felt like my dad was never there. Now that's not true because I'd be there for like seven months straight every single day, take them to school, but I also be gone for three months and that three months or that two months felt so painful. And when my mom told me my dad was all bad things that was so painful that I believed it. I believed it. And, and we have to look at the truth and be like, well, first of all, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my dad. But if you just want to break it down to just a straight old nitty gritty, thank God they had too many beers that night. Thank God that my mom wore that dress. Thank God that he made that joke. Because I was born and because I'm part my dad, I'm part my mom. And that partly feels painful and partly feels wonderful. And during this process of writing this book, um, I got to feel good about some things about my dad and get let him off the hook. You know, and I let my mom off the hook, too. You know, I mean, shit, I don't know what it was like in the 60s. I don't know what it was like. I was born in 1958. My sister was born with Down syndrome in 1960. My mom was 17 or 18 years old. I, I cannot imagine if uh, what it would be like to be that young. And my dad was 40. I mean, we're talking like this is this is like, wow. Like you got a 40-year-old Sicilian for immigrant first, well, fam immigrant family first one in the family to speak the English at graduated high school. And you've got a 17, 18 year old girl with a baby boy <coughs> and a, and a little girl with Down syndrome. Shit. That ain't going to end up like a movie of the week. And like, I get to like in my book, kind of like look at it and uh, say, Hey, you know what? I'm kind of sick of carrying the baggage. Like I, I feel like I've had a backpack and two suitcases and it, I'm sick of it. Man, and I'll tell you, it, it, I, there's so much uh, about AA as, as a, as a form of recovery that I think is helpful, but man, did they nail the concept of resentments and no. dealing with like what you're talking about, like the idea of carrying resentments is something just like you said is a backpack and that, that just, just the understanding, like, Hey, this is a forum. This is a process by which you could just constantly get those things out. However, they, cause most yeah. people don't think they're allowed to do that. Uh, yeah, you're right. And you know what I came to uh, realize 
is let's just use this concept of a suitcase and you got your resentment inside. Um, it's not like, hey, I got a resentment of my dad. Let's use that, right? By the time I open it up, it has multiplied and multiplied and new messaging and new stories. So it's really got, you got to like, got to get rid of it. And I, I was driving down the road about a month ago with my wife and I was certain person in our life being quite difficult. And uh, she goes, man, you got a lot of difficult. You got a lot of uh, not difficult. You got a lot of resentment. I pulled over. I was like, what'd you say? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't have any resistance. Yes, you do. Damn, there's another suitcase. I got so many suitcases. I should like, I'm actually, my last name's not six. It's Toomey. <laughs> I'm a luggage. I'm Samsonite. I guess between me and you, we got enough to fill a whole airport full of suitcases. And we're like guys that are supposed to be like on the up. But, you know, the good thing to know for people is even if you're working it out, you're still like working it out. Can I tell you that that point, you know, that you're talking about giving people permission to be able to keep working it out yeah. and knowing that it's, it's never over, but it's also never over. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And never and, over ever. Yeah. And, and I, isn't, isn't that kind of cool? Am I the only one that's like, Oh yeah, man, I'm still working on myself. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I like it. No, I, I listen. I think it's a, uh, you know, think, think about anything. You don't, you don't go to, church once and pray once and then that's it you don't meditate once yeah you don't you don't take your insulin once you don't exercise once you don't eat yeah. healthy once you know why on earth should you just do something once with Ooh. your mental health and well-being and 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 recovery and think that it's done that doesn't what you're talking about is i for me is what i definitely encourage people to do so i appreciate you coming on yeah. and talking about it oh that's awesome i i i'm enjoying it and we we've, we've talked before and um, you know, one of the things for me is uh, I, I remember I did the heroin diaries and it was a little shocking to the system for some people in media to talk to me about recovery because they're like, well, you're in a heavy metal band called Motley Crue. Like you guys are completely out of control. And now you're talking about recovery. And I, I, I remember like it took me a second to get my footing on that. And I was like, okay, so this is like part of what, like what I have to do in life. I need to do this. And it felt so good to get feedback. You know, feedback, such a cool thing. It's like, hey man, thank you. Or like, you know, the comment section on something will be, hey man, I read your book and thank you. I'm really looking forward to reading your new book. And I saw an interview with you about your dad. And I had some issues with my dad. We can do girls, girls, girls and wild side and shout at the devil up on that stage. We're going to blow the stage up. Tommy's going to shoot out of a canyon cannon. I don't know. Mick's going to saw you in half with laser blade, you know, lasers. You know, Vince is going to like destroy your hearing from the, the loudest scream in history. But I'm a human being and I also have human being responsibilities and uh, things that I'm excited about, and that's growth. And thank you. Always inspirational to talk with you. I, I'm very, I, I'm very fortunate. That I got to read the book. I know people are going to love it, and I appreciate Thanks, you man. coming, taking out the time. Thanks time. so much, Red. Thanks, man. We'll do it again. Absolutely.
So there it is, Nikki Six of Motley Crue and 6AM talking about how his early life experiences may have impacted his substance use and mental health. There's so much to take away from the conversation with Nikki. But something I really wanted to focus on was something Nikki said to a group of people who may have struggled with addiction. And he talked about how great drugs are. This may seem shocking to some, but from my perspective, it is one of the most important conversations we can have with ourselves and others when we are trying to recover from addiction or help others recover. When it comes to addiction, we tend to be critical, harsh, and even mean when we look at our own substance use or the substance use of others. We try to shame or humiliate ourselves or others into getting sober. But when we do that and ignore the benefits we seek when we use, we don't understand what we are missing in our lives. We don't know what to put in place to fill those needs, like soothing ourselves or feeling connected to ourselves and others. It's important that people understand the risks and damaging effects of addiction. Anyone who has struggled themselves or had loved ones struggle knows the devastating impact of addiction as people can lose their health, relationships, jobs, or even their life. And we need to be respectful of those dangers. But addiction is still a mental illness, and it is crucial that we treat people who struggle with addiction with dignity and respect and see them as a whole human being trying to figure out their lives and how substances may have played a role in that journey up until that point. That gives us the best balance of being compassionate with people about their addiction with being firm and honest that they need to recover in order to have an optimal mental health journey. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the crossroads.